Well, good morning, everyone. It is, uh, one more time, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, that's good, thank you. It is a joy for me to minister to all of you this morning. We've been looking forward to this day for a very long time. We are so thankful for God's grace in Dan's life and God's grace through Dan's life to our church thus far and from this point on. We are installing him as an elder of our church. The leaders, we are so filled with gratitude to our God for granting us this choice servant to serve and care and lead this uh, beloved congregation. I thought much about what text to preach on uh, from this morning. I thought about 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. I thought, thought about Acts 20 or Hebrews 13. But I pray to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, if you would stand and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll be reading God's word, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of God. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Please be seated. Apostle Peter here addresses elders and the congregation. He gives all of us special instructions that warrant our undivided attention. I appeal to you, I can't emphasize enough how important these instructions are, especially on this day as we install Pastor Dan as an elder of our church. I want you to notice, starting in verse 4, the posture with which Peter addresses uh, Christians, especially the elders. He says, I exhort you, and the Greek word there is parakaleo. It's the idea of coming alongside and urging, exhorting, pleading with the readers. He is an apostle of Christ. Uh, he was appointed by Christ himself. This guy walked on water, right? This guy walked on water, performed miracles, 
He was commissioned by the Lord himself, and he could have come with authority. He could have commanded the church and the elders with God's word, but he doesn't do that. Consider his attitude, his humble, gracious, gentle posture where he comes alongside and he addresses elders. And the word there is presbyteros. Now, the, the literal meaning is older men. But often in the New Testament, and the context determines this, it's not talking about older men. It's talking up to the office of elders in the church. Here, he's addressing not the old men of the church, but he's addressing those who are elders of Christ's church. And he identifies himself in three specific ways. He um, calls himself a fellow elder. Uh, this is the only time uh, Peter does this in all of his writings. A fellow elder. He's coming to them not as someone in authority. He's not commissioning them in a position of power. He says, I am engaged in the same work that you are engaged in. And the commands that I'm going to give you apply to me as well. We are in this fight, this struggle, this work together. As a fellow elder, I urge you. This is much like what Peter did throughout his writings, where he called fellow servants of Christ co-laborers, partners in the ministry. Peter likewise says, as a fellow elder, I exhort you. And then he adds, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He, he was a, a witness to Christ's sufferings. In Mark 14, Matthew 26 tells us that the, all the disciples fled in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. But specifically, two disciples followed Jesus, Peter and John. And because Peter was friends with the high priest, he gained entrance and allowed Peter, Peter to come into the courtyard. And Peter saw for himself Christ being slapped, being punched, being spat at, being persecuted. And that's when Peter denied the Lord three times. And so Peter mentions this, I believe, to share with them how precious the church of God is to God. How precious believers are to Christ because he saw for himself the price that was paid for our salvation, for the church to exist. The great sufferings that Christ endured for the church to be established Peter was an eyewitness to this himself, and he points to that reality. And then thirdly, he says, I'm a partaker of the glory to be revealed. Um, a partaker of the glory to be revealed. Peter is saying here, he has no glory in of himself. He might be an apostle, he might be an elder, but he's just a sinner. There is no righteousness, there is no glory or honor inherent in himself. Only glory that he ha will have is as a partaker when that glory is revealed when Christ returns, the glory of his full salvation. So consider that humble posture. And with that said, Peter gives one 
uh, clear imperative, clear command to the elders. He gives one command to the members, and then he gives one command to everyone, elders and members. The first is to the elders. It's found in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. Um, NIV is uh, it's a mistranslation there. It's not be shepherds, pointing to the identity. It's pointing to the work. It's a command. Shepherd the flock of God. I point my tay. It's the word that points to the comprehensive care of God's people. Care for them. Love them. Feed them. Guide them. Protect them. Serve them. Comp- comprehensively care for God's people. This uh, metaphor is rich in the, in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, God himself is seen as the shepherd of Israel. Probably one of the most famous psalms is uh, Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. I'm not lacking anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For my God, his rod, his staff comforts me. God was seen as a shepherd of the nation of Israel. And then with the coming of Christ, one of his... um, great uh, I am statements in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, there are many I am statements that he made throughout his earthly ministry. In John chapter 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. I am the, I am not a false shepherd. I am the good, and the good there is coloss, kaleidoscope. I am the beautiful shepherd. I am the noble, caring, loving shepherd. Why? Because I lay my life down for the sheep. These false shepherds, you know that they are hired hands, that they are shepherding the nation of Israel for other reasons. How do you know? Because when trials come, when predators come, they are running. The hired hand runs. Why? Because he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd because... I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in John 21, after Peter's denials and his restoration, with each question and Peter's uh, um, following answer of, of affirming his love for Jesus, our Lord gave him three commissions. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. So he's, uh, he called Peter and the apostles to be shepherds of the flock of God. God to Christ, to the apostles, and Peter now is giving this responsibility, this stewardship, this privilege to elders of Christ's church. It is your privilege, it is your responsibility, shepherd the flock of God. Take care of God's people. Feed them with the word of God. Care for their souls. 
love them as Christ has loved you. He adds this qualifier, exercising oversight. Episcopos, like presbyteros, you know, Presbyterian comes from that word, highlighting their church polity. Episcopos, oversight, Episcopalians uh, derive their denominational name from this word. It means exercising oversight. So the elders are given the responsibility, the charge, to care for Christians individually and also care for the church as an institution. It's a micro care and a macro care. They are to, the, the word there is cast a shadow, Episcopos. They are to be governing, providing oversight, leading, and managing the church. That is what Pastor Dan is called to this morning, and that is what God has called Bob and I to in our role as elders of Christ Church here. Now, there is an uh, important qualifier here. It says, the flock of God. We must be very careful students of the Bible. That looks like a throwaway phrase for um, not, not uncareful. uncareful. <laughs> you know, those students who are not carefully studying the Bible, that's a very important phrase. This phrase tells elders, this is not your flock. These aren't your people. This is not your church. You didn't bleed for them. You didn't suffer for them. You didn't purchase them. No, Acts 20, 28, they were purchased by the precious blood of Christ. They are God's people, and you are just stewards. You are entrusted for a time, but they belong to God. Therefore, of the utmost, you must Take this responsibility with sobriety, with seriousness, with full devotion. This will, I think this will help us when we get weary and tired of laboring as elders to remember and to know that every single believer is precious in the sight of God not because they are precious in of themselves. No, we're all sinners. But they're precious because of the cross of Jesus. Because he ransomed them with his own life. Now, Peter, after this uh, command, he gives them uh, three pairs of vices and virtues. Peter is keenly aware, having been an elder for, for decades now, he is keenly aware of the importance of motivations and the common temptations, the pitfalls of leadership. So he points out three common temptations that apply to every single elder. And he gives an, the alternative, the virtue that is to replace this temptation. Three pairs. First of all, elders are not to serve under compulsion but willingly. So Peter is saying your attitude is uh, very important. You know, some say attitude is everything. I mean, possibly here. Attitude is everything. That elders 
must watch over their life and doctrine. And Peter adds one more, watch over your attitude, how you are going about your service. It must not be out of duty or obligation. It must not be out of, in a forced manner, reluctantly. It must be one of joy. I, I catch myself doing this. I caught myself several, maybe a year ago, where, you know, I, I, I say this, you know, I kind of habit, like, oh, I have to watch the kids. Like, James, are you going to play ball this afternoon? Oh, I got to go home. I have to watch my kids, right? James, are you going to watch the Lakers tonight? No, I have to eat dinner, right? <laughs> I have to do this. And then I started saying, I have to preach. Oh, I'm preaching this, this Sunday. And my children want to hear me say that. Oh, you're preaching this Sunday? Yeah, daddy has to preach this Sunday. And they started saying, oh, no, that means you can't play with us. You don't have free time this week to uh, take us out because you have to preach. And I was so rebuked because there was an undercurrent of complaining and grumbling, selfishness there. And I corrected myself, and now I tell my children, daddy gets to preach this Sunday. Amazing, amazing wonder of God's grace. I'm a sinner deserving of God's eternal punishment in hell, but by his grace, you know what daddy gets to do? I get to visit this person who is ill. I get to counsel this member who's struggling. I get to fellowship with leaders. And today, I get to open God's word and preach God's truth to God's people. How amazing is that? And the kid's like, Daddy, are you okay? <laughs> I am okay, right? Not under compulsion, not out of duty, obligation. It is hard work. It is difficult work. It is challenging but it is one full of joy, and it's willingly. ESV gets it right. It's a free and voluntary service to God. It's the idea of gladness, the idea of joy. The manner in which the elder carries out his work is marked by gladness and joy. He is thrilled to be an elder of Christ's church and thrilled to be shepherding and providing oversight. So Peter is careful to mention the work is so hard, you're going to lose your way. And the first way that elders lose their way is because they're so pressured by the work. They'll see it as a duty and as a task, and they'll see people as interruptions to your agenda. No, elders, people are never an interruption. Your work is never drudgery. It is a privilege and a joy. There must always be a joyful gladness in your work. Secondly, don't lose your way in this way, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The idea is sordid gain, where you are doing this for a secondary reason, for another motivation, whether it's money or whether it's ego or glory or pride or the tangent benefits of leadership, it must not be for that because if you do ministry for those reasons, what you are doing is you're just using people. You're a manipulator. You're using God's people and God's church for yourself. People are a means to an end. When no, 
people are the end. We are to love God's people, serve them, care for them. We are not called to use them. We are to do it eagerly. We are not to calculate what's in it for me. Is this particular work worth my time? Is this particular ministry, particular person worth my investment, worth my effort, worth my time? No. We are to serve with, with, with eagerness. And, and, and I think Pastor Dan preached this passage a few weeks ago about Timothy. I have, uh, Philippians 2, where Paul talked about Timothy. And he says, I have no one else like him. Right? Now, Timothy, we know that he's kind of a timid guy, kind of a sensitive soul, possibly more of a, a mama's boy, definitely not like a Tim Tebow, right? Not a Tim Tebow. What's the opposite of Tim Tebow? I, I couldn't think of anyone, but most likely opposite of Tim Tebow, that's, that's Timothy. But Paul has other men who are like Tim Tebow, right? They're, they're courageous, strong, gifted, able, articulate, right, strong, and Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy. Why? What's so special about Timothy? He has a genuine interest. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. Philippians 2. They all seek their own interests. They're ministering for themselves. They're preaching for themselves. They're elders for themselves. They're leaders for themselves. Really, at the end of the day, it's all about them, but not Timothy. He, his interests are those of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul loved Timothy. That's why Paul said, you're my son. You are like me. Thirdly, not lording over, but being examples, you know, power cor- corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, leadership, the dark side of leadership is that we're all immature, we're all insecure, we all have unbelief, we're all so sinful that Power does awful things to us. It does weird things to us. And we take power, even the power in Christ's church, and it corrupts us. And next thing we know, we dominate over people. We lord over people. That is a common pitfall, temptation of all leaders in the church. The word here is kata kurios. Kurios is lord. Kata is toward, intensive. And so you are standing in the place of Jesus. Instead of standing behind the Bible and the gospel and preaching his word and having Christ be the center of people's hearts, leaders are tempted and often put themselves in the people's hearts and burden them with their own convictions, bind on Christians with their own preferences, their own personal traditions or cultural convictions, they apply on Christians and in that way, they lord over people, they exasperate Christians, they choke out faith. Paul said, Peter says, no, not domineering, not lording over, not going beyond the scriptures. The servant of God must never go beyond the scriptures. Instead, being examples to the flock of God. His foremost teaching method is being an example. It's modeling truth. And parents, we understand. Our kids, they listen to us. But more than listening, they watch us. And they follow what we do. The most powerful teaching tool is modeling. 
what we do is so much more powerful than what we say. That applies in the world and definitely applies in the church. And so Paul calls, Peter calls elders to be examples. Be worthy of imitation in every way. Athanasius said, it is, the, it is one's life that should command and persuade. Now, after doing this, um, Peter gives why and how this is possible. What will sustain you to do this? I mean, it's, I mean it is impossible. I mean, shepherding the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, right? Uh, not out of shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over believers but being examples. How is this possible? In verse 4, Peter gives the empowering motivation for when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The identity of Jesus as the chief shepherd appears only here in 1 Peter 5. And he's telling the elders that, remember, you are you're shepherds, but you're under shepherds. And remember, before you're under shepherds, you are sheep. And he's telling the church, you know, your elders are your elders, your pastors are your pastors, your care group care leaders are your care group leaders, but they're all sheep and under, under shepherds. You need to look toward to the chief shepherd. And, and he's the one we trust in. He's our hope. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's the one who reigns and he will reveal himself. He will appear. He will come back. He will one day appear. And John Calvin said of this verse, the difficulties of the elders' work and the consciousness of their own inadequacies and failures discourages the most faithful servant of Christ. And it causes them to be cast down. The only remedy for church leaders is to turn his eyes away from himself, turn his eyes away from the church, and turn his eyes towards the coming Christ. This is, the, this is a gift for all weary Christians and doubly so for all weary church leaders. This tells us that what compels us is the cross of Christ in the past, what, who Jesus is and what he has done, what, what compels us, strengthens us, is our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit now. The Spirit resides in us right now. But what also compels us is the future, the imminent return of Jesus, that he will come as the chief shepherd and he will gather all of us in his arms. And what will he do? He will reward faithful elders. He will give to faithful elders crown of glory. Now this crown, there are two Greek words, diadem and stephanos. Diadem is the royal crown, the kingly crown, the crown with all the points, right? The crown that I don't really particularly want because it's so flashy. It's, you know, it's got made of gold and silver. It's got jewels and diamonds, and it's just sparkling because it points to royalty. Well, that's not the word used here in 1 Peter 5.4. 
the word used here is stephanos. It's the wreath, ivy and flowers that were twisted together to form a wreath that was given to winner of athletic games. Whether the Athenian, Corinthian, or the Olympic games, the victor was given this wreath, or someone who achieved great uh, victory in war, or some civic duty was accomplished, and the, and the leaders would give this wreath. It was an earned crown. It was something that was achieved and gained. This crown will be given to elders who by grace through faith served faithfully their local congregation. Now this crown, is a crown of glory. I'm sorry for saying this, it's a genitive of apposition, right? I say this because what does that mean? All that it means is I did my work and all that it means is trust me when I say that the crown itself has no value, right? The po point is not, like if I get a royal crown, I'd be like, that's a, I want that crown because I'm gonna pawn it, right? And buy something else that I could really use, right? Because that crown is valuable. But when it's generative opposition, what it's saying is, it's not the crown, it's a crown of glory, which is glory is the crown. What, will what elders receive is glory from the chief shepherd. He will share the praise, the honor, the exaltation. The glory that he received for dying on the cross from the Father, he will share with fellow elders who served God's church. And then Revelation 4, the 24 elders, representative of all the elders, I believe, will cast down their glory in return at Jesus' feet and give him back his glory because he is the source of everything. All that to say is elders will experience the pleasure of God, right? When you win and you get a wreath, they give you that wreath. You're saying you pleased. You represented your country well. You pleased everyone who was in the audience by your performance. Well done. And when you stand at that podium and you receive that wreath, the glory of just pleasing people who loved you and cared for you, that is what uh, thrills your heart. And that is, what we'll, that is the significance of this Stephanos, that we pleased our Lord by our faithful service. And that is the, the long-term Reality that will keep us continuing in the service as elders. This difficult, heartbreaking work, it'll keep us on this road when we consider our chief shepherd appearing, giving us the crown of glory, all to his glory. Peter gave this instruct, this command to elders. And then in verse 5, he exhorts the congregation. He commands the church. Likewise, you who are younger, now younger, just like Presbyteros in verse one was not addressing older men, younger men here, right? Neoteroi is not addressing younger men, right? He talked to the elders, and now he's addressing the congregation, right? Those who are younger in the faith, those who are following the leaders in the church. He's using these terms more as, an, as, as roles in the church 
not in their literal definition. So he's addressing all the members of Christ's church. You who are younger, the command is be subject to the elders. Submit yourself. It's a military, rank, military term for rank under. To place yourself under. Be subject to the leadership of the elders. As the elders seek to shepherd you, care for you, serve you, protect you, guide you by teaching the word of God and by serving you personally. As the elders seek to serve by providing oversight, making decisions over the church, the, the responsibility of the members is to submit themselves to the elders. Now, let me explain it in this way. In all of our relationships, essentially there are two categories of relationships, consumer relationships and covenant relationships. And most of our relationships are consumer relationships. Most of the relationships that you and I have are consumer, where you are... You are involved in that relationship as long as you are getting something in return. And any time when you're not getting what you want in return, you limit that relationship or you walk away from that relationship. And most of our relationships would be in this category. I'll illustrate it this way. Um, you know, my wife and I, we take care of my mom's uh, car insurance. And uh, my mom, I don't know why, but she's got a metal foot. I mean, she, she's retired. She has, there's no really, like, deadline for anything, but she's hurried to get wherever she's going. And so she's been in two accidents the past three years and a tra traffic ticket. So if you see an old Asian lady with jet black hair and a black Honda Accord, get out of the way, right? <laughs> so after her first accident, man, our insurance company was great. We've been with them for several years. Just excellent customer service, paid for all the bills, took care of mom, and communicated well. After the traffic ticket, same thing. We called them up. They took care of us really well. After the second traffic accident, both. It was all her fault. Right? They called us. They were kind, helpful, took care of everything for us. And then the bill came. <laughs> and because she has two accidents and a ticket, her premium tripled. Right? The bill triple. Uh, well, is there anything in the Bible where it says submit to your insurance company? Right? <laughs> no, right? Nothing. I couldn't find anything. I searched the scriptures. The next day, I called the insurance company, found the lower quote, and canceled with this insurance company. Our previous. Why? Well, it's a consumer relationship. Right? There's, there's, not, there's, no, there's, no, there's no promise. I'm not bound to them. So, even though they've been so, we felt kind of guilty. Certainly not, we felt a little guilty. <laughs> they've been so good to us. Like, we made out more than they did. But at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line for us, and we moved on. Most of relationships, even our friendships are often that way, more and more so in our culture. Right? It's a very consumer culture. What well, Bible says, certain relationships are far more covenant relationships rather than consumer relationships. And 1 Peter highlights this. Um, 1 Peter 2, turn back a few chapters. And 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, governors, 
Uh, those who punish evil, praise those who are good. This is the will of God. So a relationship with the government is more covenant relationship rather than consumer, where we are called to honor our leaders, pay our taxes. I need to tell my mom to obey traffic laws, right? It's a covenant relationship, and the responsibility of believers is to submit and we don't have a buffet mentality to the laws of the government. I agree, you know, we can, you can do that at hometown buffet, but not with our government. You submit to them. That is the call of the Christian. Uh, likewise, in 1 Peter 2, 18, master-slave relationship, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. This is not advocating slavery uh, you know, as known in North America 150 years ago. No, this is talking about indentured servitude that was practiced in the first century uh, in, in, this, uh, in this region. Indentured servitude was someone binds himself voluntarily to a certain amount of time for a certain price, where the master is responsible for travel, for clothing, lodging, and food, in return for his or her services. After that term expires, that person is free to go. Indentured servanthood. So if you have a master who is harsh, you submit. In fact, this indentured servitude exists in America to this day. And it's called the US military, right? You sign up for the armed forces and you can't, after you sign up, say, no, I don't wanna dig a ditch, right? I don't wanna run five miles. I don't want to carry that backpack. That guy's shooting at me. I don't want to go there. You don't have that option. I have a friend who had two weeks furlough between his tours, and he was telling me he has to get back to his base on Tuesday. What happens if you don't make it on Tuesday? I go to jail, right? You better get back on Tuesday, right? I mean, if you show up for work one day late, you might get written up. They might dock your pay. You might get fired. That's it. But in the military, you go to jail, right? So if you have a harsh drill master, you submit to him. Marriage probably is the most covenant relationship. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And Ephesians 5, 21 talks about submit to one another, meaning each partner is to die to themselves. So husband submits to God by loving his wife, by dying to, to himself, to care for her, right? He dies to himself as Christ loved the church. He dies and, 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 and lives to serve her and love her. The wife dies to herself by submitting to her husband. And First Peter adds, even if he is not a Christian, even if he's an unbeliever, you ought also to submit to him so that you might win him without a word. Without a word. Well, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 3, now 1 Peter 5. Peter says the relationship in the church between elders and members is far less a consumer relationship where elders say, well, you know, the people, they don't really listen well. You know, they don't really laugh at my jokes, right? They're not really faithful to come to church on time, and they're not committed believers. Therefore, 
I don't have to take serious my role. I don't have to be faithful to shepherd them. No, it's a covenant relationship. So regardless of how the members are, they could be, you know, <laughs> not good members, right? They could be not good people, no elders. You don't say, I'll preach well if you start, you know, obeying. You know, I'll, I'll start serving you if you start appreciating me. No, you die and you care, you lay yourself down unilaterally. It's a covenant relationship. Before God, likewise, members to the elders are called to submit themselves to the elders of the church. Again, primarily in the areas of shepherding and oversight. Elders are not to, to dominate, lord over you, telling you what you can or cannot drink, what to wear, where you can shop, who you can marry, where you can buy a house, what jobs to get, what, what styles to adopt. No, that is none of our business. But in terms of the elder's responsibility to shepherd you, to teach you and care for you and provide oversight, in those areas, the members are called to have a posture of being subject to their leadership. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls who will give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. Now, this is, this is not easy. You know, like, relationship with our government, we know by all that's in the news, it's not easy. All that's happening all across America, right? Relationship with, with it, you know, in the military is not easy, I guess. You can ask those in the military. In relationship, in fact, I know for a fact, husband-wife relationship, it's, it's easy on the Bible, but day to day, it's very difficult. And we know in the church, likewise, this elder member dynamic, it is difficult. So Peter says, I, I know it's, I'm not, I'm not naive. I'm not, I know church is not Disneyland. You know, I, I know the reality. So Peter gives uh, one character trait that is essential for it to work. In the family, especially in the church, this quality is essential for it to work. And so he exhorts every believer in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Paul said, Peter says, clothe yourself. Put on this garment of humility all of you, every single Christian, towards one another. So elder to fellow elder, elder to member, member to elder, member to fellow member. We are to have this garb of humility as we relate to one another in every way. Humility is this quality of unselfishness, self-effacement, lowliness of mind, esteeming of ourselves as small, and having other people's interests being more important. It's the opposite of pride and arrogance and self-centeredness. Colossians 3, 12 through 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This humility is the call of every Christian. This garment of humility is not an, an external show, but an inward reality, an inward attitude, a willingness to humbly serve and care for one another, for every Christian. And this is when it works in the family. And both husband and wife humble themselves before God, unilaterally toward one another. This is when it works in the church. Between elders and elders in the church and the church members amongst themselves. Humility is essential. And then Peter gives three reasons why you must be humble. First of all, God is opposed to the proud. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That word opposed, the military term, is to set oneself against someone, is to line up in a battle stance against the enemy. So when you are proud, then you are, God is against you. So if you as an elder, if I as an elder serve out of compulsion and I'm grumbling and complaining, God is against me. Right? If I'm ministering for shameful gain, God is against me. Right? If I'm serving right, without a joyful heart, and I'm serving with wrong motivations, and I'm lording over believers, and God is against me, because that's pride. And if members, you are not submitting to your elders, you are not resisting elders, God is opposed to you. May I humbly, based on the text, exhort you to consider that? God is opposed to the proud, but instead, he gives grace to the humble. Right? He gives joy and freedom, unmerited favor in your heart to those who are humble. Second reason, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Peter highlights that whatever situation you're in, whatever trial, whatever burdens, adversity, anxieties, whatever you're trying to submit yourself to, you are not under some person or some situation. You're under God's mighty hand. Who's behind your suffering right now? Who, who is causing these trials? It's not a person or a people or a situation. It's God's mighty hand. As Milton Vincent has said, you need to learn to kiss these trials, embrace these trials, because this hand is the hand that Christ Jesus, this is the hand that, that gave us God's Son for our salvation. It's a loving hand. It's a gracious hand. And that is the hand that is causing us to go through these trials. We are to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Why? Because in due time, what will he do at that proper time? And that's God's proper time. In God's economy, in God's timing, he will exalt those who are humble. So we're not waiting on people. We're not waiting for a situation to change. You're 
unreasonable boss, right? Your uncaring spouse, your wayward child, your friend who has wronged you. You're not waiting for people or situation. You're waiting for God's proper time. You're waiting on God. And what will he do at this proper time? He will exalt you. He will extol you. He will honor you for your humility. Now, verse 7 is so helpful because um, this is so hard. Wait to the proper time. Uh, Be humble and submit myself uh, until the proper time. I can't, I can do this for you five minutes, five hours maybe but indefinitely until the proper time. How can I do this? How can I be humble until God's time? Verse seven, this is how, it's through prayer. Christ says, until that proper time, God invites you to cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He says, you don't have to wait alone. I'm with you, and I want to carry all all of your anxieties, all of your burdens, all of your hurts, sorrows, your pain, give them all to me. Nobody has ever said that to you in your life. I I don't care who loves you. If I gave my wife all my anxieties, it would crush her. If my wife did that to me, it would crush me. I tried doing that to your best friend. Pour out your heart and give them all your anxieties. They will never talk to you again. No one wants that from you. No one loves you or cares for you to that degree. But here is God the Father. He says, I care for you so much. I want you to give me everything. Give me all of your anxieties, all of it. Cast it on me. It's the idea of casting a net. Throw it to me and I'll receive it. And through that, you will experience my loving care. You will see that really your shepherd is not a man, not a person. Someone who really is shepherding you, is caring for you as God himself. You experience God's care through prayer. So until that proper time, what's God calling us to do is to pray. And not just pray, but pray. Where you Pour out your whole heart to God and you cast all your burdens on him so that you might experience his present day care. It's not just God's point, the past. It's not just Christ and the future. Today, he cares for you. He cares for me. And he calls us to cast our cares on him. That is the extent of of his love for us. Well, elders, we are sheep much more than we are shepherds. Members, knowing that, pray for us and pray for Elder Dan. You, ultimately, you are shepherds in God's hand. Receive our care. Receive our oversight. But pour all your cares 
to the Father, for He cares for you. And then I'll close with how Peter closes in verse 11. Verse 10 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The sufferings that we experience for a while stands pale in comparison to the eternal glory that awaits us. Paul said, Romans 8.18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Jesus said, John 16, 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her time has come. But when she has delivered that baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Father, I just want to close this time reflecting on you as a chief shepherd who will appear again. You as the sovereign ruler or king who is risen, who sits at the right hand of God's throne right now praying for each and every one of us. One day, Faith shall be sight. We shall see you with our own eyes. And Lord, what joy will be in our hearts that will never be taken from us. In fact, that joy will grow day by day for eternity. Lord, may the joy, that, that exultant joy that has awakened us compel us today to be faithful to the commands that you have given to us Faithful, given, faithful to the commands given to elders, to members, and to every single Christian. That as we put on the garment of humility towards one another, we would faithfully in this covenant relationship fulfill our roles. And in that way, we'll display the beauty of the gospel by our love for one another. And that many will see, and they will fear you, and they will turn away from sin and be saved. That is our hope and that is our prayer. God, we once again commit uh, this uh, holy time to you as we install Pastor Dan as an elder of your church here. Lord, may your favor, may your hand of blessing
May your grace be upon him in his heart as he uh, joyfully receives the stewardship from your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.